Welcome to another Principle of Hospitality podcast. I'm your host as always, Sean DeVries. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode. Our food brings people together and promotes community and here at Principle of Hospitality, we're disrupting the current perceptions of what the hospitality industry can achieve in today's ever-evolving and challenging environment. So that's why we're so proud to partner with Chef's Hat, the largest family-owned and operated hospitality supplier in Australia on this season of Poe. Now, K-Box Australia turns unused commercial kitchen space into takeout delivery hubs. K-Box Australia is the fastest growing company in Australia to license virtual brands and a full technology stack to optimize underutilized kitchens, boosting existing kitchens and generating another revenue stream. Most restaurants run at about 60% capacity, so they utilize data to identify the capacity in existing commercial kitchens, such as those found in pubs, hotels, restaurants, supermarkets, and even stadiums. So I'm really excited to learn more about KBOX today with Andrew Kang, the National Sales Manager. Hey, Andrew, how are you? Yeah, great, Sean. Thanks for having me on. Um, absolute pleasure, mate. And, um, and when we talked, uh, which was probably a couple of months ago now, I think for the first time, um, like I was really excited to learn about K-Box because something that we've talked about on the podcast a lot, um, both directly and indirectly, is the fact that um, hospitality venues cost a heap of money um, to set up bricks and mortar ones um, mm. and even ghost kitchens as well. Um, and the underutilization of kitchen space in things like cafes or we're talking about stadiums obviously there and different things is just – widespread and when people are spending so much money on rent i think the opportunity that we'll talk about today with kbox i think is a really really important one uh conversation to have so before we get into that like let's let's talk about how you how you sort of started out in the hospitality industry as well because i know about your connections and then and then talk about like what kbox actually is yeah definitely my uh my entry into hospitality is fairly unorthodox. I've always had a passion for food, but until a few years ago, my bread and butter was in finance, working with fund managers. Mm -hmm. It was during this time I came across an opportunity to buy into a cafe as a partner, which was my passion project and and a crash course into hospitality, mind you. Whilst operating the cafe, I saw firsthand the growth and spread of delivery on my cafe strip. It started with Uber Eats and the local Chinese shop, then the Indian across the road. And within six months, the entire strip, including the cafe, was being serviced by all the major platforms. It was quite interesting. Day in and day out, drivers would be streaming into businesses, picking up orders to be delivered to customers. The local Chinese and Indian would have mountains of bikes parked outside waiting to pick up orders. On the other hand, my cafe was barely receiving a delivery order a day. The delivery trend was really no longer a trend and being normalized within a year for almost all the businesses except my cafe. It was during this time I came to the realization that no customer is going to pay $5 delivery fee for a $6 coffee and muffin. That's going to take 30 minutes to get delivered. So I wanted to get a deeper understanding of what made delivery customers tick, but more importantly, what determines success on these platforms. And that's when I made the conscious decision to turn my passion project into a lifestyle choice and I left finance to join Deliveroo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I learned a tremendous amount whilst at Deliveroo, what determined success and profitability on the platforms, the operational changes required to maximize these partnerships from back of house to trading hours and everything else in between, consumer spend and behavior. And lastly, most importantly, what led me to KBOX, the concept of virtual brands. I adopted Absurd Bird uh, as a virtual brand to my cafe, and it was 
proof of concept uh, and proof the proof was in the pudding or in my case fried chicken <laughs> by hosting <laughs> by hosting absurd bird in my cafe it opened up a whole new market of customers and it wasn't long before the mountain of bikes were slowly building up in front in front of my cafe you know the rest is history and that's what brings me here today what was the catalyst like what was the thing that got you over the line to actually say okay well i'm going to put a virtual brand in my cafe was it the fact that you saw more competition around you the fact that you knew that your sort of average spend wasn't increasing for for your cafe in itself like was there something that sort of just tipped you over the line to make that happen yeah definitely look i've i've always been a problem solver by nature and just looking at the competition and how successful the competition was on my strip, I just I really couldn't put a finger on you know exactly what the key ingredient was or what the missing ingredient was, and that's when I decided to do a deep dive and, and get a better understanding of the delivery platforms. It was a fairly large move uh, out of finance into the hospitality space, but definitely a calculated one. Yeah, right. And so, what do you think the biggest sort of value was from using? using your kitchen for for something else because like cafes is an interesting is a really interesting path like if you if you have a 50 60 seater cafe um and if you're in inner city melbourne sydney brisbane adelaide perth like unless you're getting a decent kind of alcohol spend from somewhere <laughs> unless, unless you've got uh, your mains at sort of between 19 to 25 bucks. Mm. Like it's really, really hard. Like, you you, you know, you're, pre- you're pretty much done by 2.30 every day. So, you know, did you find that opening up, you know, to a fried chicken venue at night time was something that was just a calculated risk for you? No, it certainly was. And look, it wasn't, uh, I didn't have a silver bullet when we initially started. Uh, when I adopted Absurd Bird and this virtual brand to my cafe, I kept the same operating hours, 7 a.m. Mm-hmm. to 2.30 p.m. I quickly realized no one buys fried chicken at 8 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> so within the first two weeks, I changed my operating hours to see if there was, if they made an impact to the pickup that we were seeing. And just by changing the trading hours, it completely changed the revenue game for Absurd Bird and the virtual brand that I adopted into the kitchen. Yeah, right. Did, when you So when you launched that, like how long did you have it? Um, did you have it in venue before you sort of started to see success, do you think? Look, it took roughly between four to six weeks. Uh, the It was a fairly large learning curve in those four to six weeks. Operationally, how do we set everything up? What do we need to change within our back of house? What type of marketing do we need to do? You know, where do customers spend the most amount of money at what time on what product? So there was a learning curve, but the team at KBOX, prior to me joining KBOX, was extremely helpful with analyzing and, and giving me the insights around this data. Yeah. What So... Talk me through those sort of four to four to six weeks. You've you've obviously gone to nighttime, I'd imagine, mm-hmm. um, as well. Like, did you launch any other brands into the cafe as well? No, no, definitely in the first four to six weeks, it was uh, very much uh, a sponge and absorbing as much as possible. Now, today, I've got six brands uh, out of my uh, running out of my kitchen, but the inception of that was through Absurd Bird. Now, I had Absurd Bird running at my cafe for just under 10 months before adding any additional virtual brands on. And it very much is uh, another business that you're adopting into into your existing core business. Just because it's an online or a virtual business doesn't mean you don't need to provide as much attention to it as you normally would with your core business. So it was an extremely long learning curve, but definitely a successful one. Yeah, right. Did you, like when, 
the listeners are listening, right, and going, okay, well, you've got six brands inside that space and you've got a, you know, uh, a cafe as well. Like how are you doing that? How many menu items do you have per um, per brand? Like how, how the hell does that work? Um, talk me through some sort of um, operational things here. Yeah, and look at this is uh, this is the really the the genius and the beauty behind K Box, the brands that, that I initially adopted, Sir Bird. Uh, there's a lot of cross pollination when it comes to the actual goods and the ingredients across a number of other different brands. Mm-hmm. So the additional brands I added on post that point was Wing World, World of Wings, and other fried chicken brands. Now the ingredients and the process were essentially identical across those different brands. They were just marketed very differently and the building process might have been slightly different in tweaks. But having that optimised procurement and the ingredients across the multiple brands really helped with streamlining my back panels. Tell me why brands like, uh, tell me why K-Box decides they want five or six fried chicken brands that look identical and change the branding. There's something in what you're saying there, right? Like mm. what, what is that trying to game? What is that? Is that trying to is that trying to change the the way that the uh, brands show up on someone's um, delivery apps like Deliveroo or mm. um, or that kind of stuff? Like, what is the point of actually doing that? Yeah, no, it certainly is uh, gaming the system. If and, and this is a realization that I came I came to whilst working at Deliveroo. If you strip back the delivery component of the delivery platforms, what are they essentially? They're an advertising platform. Mm. You're advertising your business on their platform to their customers by essentially creating multiple brands that are fried chicken that are roughly the same but different. You're essentially maximizing the real estate you have on these delivery platforms to maximize the amount of clicks and potential orders that you receive. Mm. It's a simple but genius idea. It is a simple but genius idea. Um, <laughs> how does <laughs> how does Kbox come up with these with these different brands? I think from memory, when I was looking um, looking at your deck uh, last month, it's about twenty odd brands that are underneath Kbox, right? Correct. Yeah. So how do they? How does the team come up with those different identities and then and then um, make sure they're actually going to prove out to concept? Yeah, so uh, K-Box Global uh, in the UK, they have Michelin star chefs uh, within their R&D and product development team that look at the macro food trends that we're seeing uh, in the market, but more importantly, do a lot of the testing behind the scenes with focus groups. Uh, what does the Mexican uh, menu potentially look like? What are the trends we're seeing in that space? Uh, what's the healthy food trend that we're currently seeing? Can we add something from a Pokeball perspective? Mm-hmm. So we've got a team de- designated to look at these types of food trends and the R&D and development of new menus. Okay. What sort of food trends are you seeing come through as being pretty pretty dynamic? Like I know from what from what I've seen, what we're talking about a lot is chicken and plant-based. Mm-hmm. I've noticed from seeing the, the uh, number of brands that you guys have, like there's that sort of mentality as well. But like what, what cuisines are you seeing coming through as being really high delivery spends? Yeah, in terms of cuisines, uh, I can't say I can put one on top of the other, but there is a particular trend that K-Box has built into the ethos uh, that what we're trying to do here. With every non-plant-based menu that we have, we mirror that with a plant-based menu. So for every fried chicken brand that we have, we have a plant-based version of it. And that speaks to our Mexican, our Italian, all the different cuisines that we've got, even coming down to burgers, for example. Mm -hmm. Every single non-plant-based menu and brand that we have 
is paired with a plant-based one. We see the healthy food trends has been growing for the last couple of years and it's really started to uh, escalate. And we think this is a trend that isn't going to stop. Do you see, obviously, um, um, that dinner spend market is probably where anecdotally 70% of revenue comes from for delivery brands, I would think. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything that you guys are doing or that you're seeing overseas that is going to um, affect positively for breakfast and for lunch sales? Like obviously salad brands and those kind of things is something that has come through. Poke bowls is something that has come through. But like uh, are you seeing any kind of breakfast trends or lunch trends that are coming through pretty strongly? In particular for our brands, uh, no. Uh, most of our brands are really pointed towards uh, the lunch and the dinner service. I mean, mm. you're going to get very few people ordering fried chicken or a burger 8 a.m. in the morning. Yep. But it's quite interesting. Uh, with the rise and the normalization of delivery, we are seeing a lot of players break into that breakfast market, which historically hadn't really been broken into. You've got one of the major players uh, here in Australia, Coffee Club, for example. Mm. They've come out with their own virtual brand, Sir Benedict, which is purely targeted, marketed towards that breakfast market. You know, they've really nailed their offering there and they're starting to really monopolise uh, the offerings in that breakfast component. Now, it's something that KBox in particular is not working towards at the moment, but definitely potentially in the future. Yeah. What do you, what do you think the limitations are with breakfast? Do you think it's the fact that coffee is such a – is a hard thing to travel or that, you know, things like eggs are hard to travel as well? Like what do you think the barriers are to making that really successful? Mate, you've nailed it. Yeah. Exactly right. It's a delivery component uh, and as well as the actual items themselves. You know, it's historically it's been quite difficult to – around the coffee, uh, the actual items, eggs, uh, the actual breakfast items themselves are quite hard uh, to deliver. Now, again, with the normalisation and delivery becoming such a staple now, there are lots of businesses and lots of innovations around packaging the actual delivery itself that's really opening this space up. Yeah. What are, you, what are you seeing around packaging? I was about to ask you about that. Like packaging seems like the the thing that has to really change moving forward. But then we so we have two sides of the spectrum here, right? Mm-hmm. We have restaurants and, and cafes wanting to make more money on delivery because obviously there's a percentage which are taken off because of the delivery being, being moved, right? Someone mm-hmm. needs to move that product. So I understand it. Um, but the packaging part, like I know a lot of brands want to do the right thing from an environmental sustainability part of um of delivery aspect um but then you need to spend money on r&d you need to spend money on making sure packaging is right to move that product like what what are you seeing in packaging that is gonna is gonna change at the moment like it's a it seems like a hard one to shift andrew no, no, it certainly is. And I don't think anyone's just cracked the code just yet um, in saying that we are partnered with Biopack. And yep. you know, Biopack are you know, streams ahead in terms of the innovations that they've got. So they have you know, particular cardboard boxes or particular packaging around you know, fried food, for, the, for example, yep. or particular packaging around coffees or particular packaging around you know, fresh food items. So it's quite interesting to see the innovation uh, in this space and it's very much been accelerated off the back of COVID. If I'm a cafe like yourself and I've got five different chicken brands, mm. how do I build loyalty with my customer if I've got five different chicken brands? Do you think it's just a do you think that is sort of to the side now in delivery platforms and it needs to be whatever looks to be uh, whatever looks the best from a picture standpoint on a phone, whatever mm. price point is right, 
and the branding part isn't as important anymore? Like what are your thoughts on that? No, no, definitely. I think uh, I think the world is definitely moving towards you know purpose built marketing, uh, and that and that really speaks to the actual brand itself. You know, a lot of the work that we do to drive the success and revenue for our partners is around that marketing brand piece. So I think that is extremely important, and will continue to become more and more important as we progress. Uh, with the market being saturated, you really need to have a you know, a funky brand or a brand that really sticks in clients' minds. So a lot of the work that we do to drive the success these brands is really around marketing but you did touch on a couple of the key drivers you know, pricing is certainly one of the key drivers when it comes to you know what drives uh, your behavior uh, on these delivery platforms why do you think why do you think certain individuals um, who own hospitality venues are scared of delivery why do you think they want, don't want to jump into delivery Look, it's, 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 it's the early adopters, and I think this is a great example. It's the early adopters who jumped onto delivery and were a bit of a guinea pig, I think, mm-hmm. around you know how can we actually make this work. Uh, I think there are quite a fair few people that are still sticking to the old model where it's traditional, you're walking customers, which equals traditional revenue. And it's people that are less, uh, I guess, hesitant to move with the times around, well, what's actually changing? What's evolving? And what we're seeing happen in the hospitality space is, you know, essentially what we saw happen in the e, uh, in the retail space 10 years ago. When the e-commerce giants like eBay and Amazon came into Australia, we saw about 20% of retail businesses die off within an 18-month period because they were the ones that weren't able to pivot and have an e-commerce offering. We're seeing that happen right now in the hospitality space with on-demand delivery. Yeah. Do you, do you um, obviously... Uh the lockdowns and across Melbourne and Sydney and around Australia and that kind of stuff around the world have really exploded delivery. Mm. How do you think delivery is going to act in a uh, non, I won't say non COVID, (laughs) I'll say say COVID different world. Like do you expect delivery platforms to come off a bit and obviously the, you know, the really good brands on delivery to rise or what are you sort of thinking moving forward? No, I, I think delivery will continue to rise and it will continue to be a staple for a lot of Australians. And no doubt uh, the volume of deliveries will reduce uh, intermittently uh, as we come out of lockdowns and as restrictions start to ease. But I think it's fair to say off the back of the last year and a half that we've seen here in Australia, delivery has really started to become quite normalised. The data that we have here at KBOX is we do see order volumes drop fairly significantly as we come out of lockdown, but they actually start to stabilise roughly about a month afterwards. The order volumes post-lockdown or post-COVID, I should say, sits at roughly about 80% of the volumes that you would see whilst we're in restrictions and whilst we're locked down. So, again, really speaks to the fact that delivery has become very, very normal for a lot of Australians. Do you think it's a hard thing for some business owners to actually swallow, like the fact they don't want to move to delivery? Yeah, look, it certainly is. I I think the cost element is by far the biggest driver. I know it certainly was the case for me. Now, I just couldn't stomach uh, the fact that the delivery platforms were fogging me with a 30% uh, commission. But once I did a deep dive and actually understood what the offering was, it was much easier for me to then make the business decisions to say, well, I think delivery is going to be beneficial even with the additional cost there is around the new customers and the new revenue I'm able to generate through this advertising platform. So let's talk about the advertising and marketing standpoint because if I'm a cafe owner like yourself, Andrew, um, and I think I'm going to drop in 
six different brands and therefore I'm going to maybe have six different marketing channels. Like how does the, how does the marketing channel actually work? Um, you know, how, how does it work to make sure that I'm not spending a heap of time on it as well? Mm-hmm. And look, from a K-Box perspective, this is one of the key uh, benefits. K-Box actually takes all of the guesswork out of marketing. So K-Box will essentially do all of the above the line and below the line marketing around your buses, your billboards, your street furniture, Facebook and Instagram, ensuring that there is that brand awareness piece. Once a brand awareness piece has been created, it's really that call to action. Again, once you strip back the delivery component, we know the deliverer, DoorDashes, the menu logs, and the Uber Eats of the world are just advertising platforms. So how do we maximize exposure on these delivery platforms? Well, there's a couple of different methods. You can opt with promotions such as free delivery or discounts on your menu. You can opt to pay for sponsored listings or sponsored ads. But again, these are all the little tips and tricks that a lot of businesses haven't picked up on to ensure that they are successful in delivery platforms. And that's one of the key benefits of partnering with KBox because there is a designated team that actually does all of these marketing strategies and execution for you. Yeah. That's the thing I like about um, the product, if I want to speak frank, like you guys obviously handle the marketing stuff. I know um, the supply chain part is handled by you guys as well, which I think yeah. is really, really smart and allows people to scale up quickly. Like how does the, how does the supply chain part work as well? Yeah, so uh, one of the key benefits uh, around the procurement side uh, of KBox is we actually provide the procurement for our partners, for those brands. Rather than saying, here's a menu, here's a cookbook, off you go. We provide the uh, the ingredients pre-prepared. We do that for two reasons. Firstly, because we want to optimize the back of house and ensure there aren't any bottlenecks. Secondly, it's that quality control piece. So we provide the ingredients pre-prepared where every single menu item at KBox can be completed in eight steps or less. We're essentially mimicking and replicating the model that you see at the back of house for McDonald's or KFC. What's your, what's your thoughts on sort of native delivery and, and that kind of stuff, if I can ask you? I know it's a bit off script of what obviously KBox is responsible for, but you're in you're in this space every day, right? Like um, if you look at what's happening in America with sort of native delivery and restaurants taking back their delivery as well as using delivery platforms, mm-hmm. um, brands like, you know, um, Kitchen United and Zool and Reef and all these kind of brands doing really great things in the US, mm-hmm. hasn't hasn't really come – uh, to a crescendo moment where that's happened here at scale. Like what are you thinking about virtual kitchens most generally um, and can can KBox actually come into a virtual kitchen as well as someone who owns a cafe? Sorry, virtual kitchens uh, as uh, as in dark kitchens? As in dark kitchens, yeah, sorry. Yes. Yeah, yeah, no, no. So, dark, well, there's a lot of names that go out about being yes. thrown around, you know, ghost kitchens, <laughs> ghost virtual kitchens, kitchens. Yes. yeah. Uh, I think uh, the the consensus now is that they've been coined dark kitchens, but it's quite interesting. It's it really dark kitchens, in our view, is in competition with in the, the independent restaurant market because mm-hmm. you're saturating an already saturated market. And this speaks directly to our ethos here at KBox. We believe the world doesn't need more kitchens. In fact, we believe the kitchens that are already here need more sales. Wow, that's really interesting. Um, <laughs> that probably puts you a parallel <laughs> to what, in some ways to what to what's happening, right? Like, so is it is it hard to get um, a current venue owner across the line thinking, okay, well, I need to spend more hours in order to get more, you know, to get more sales? Like, is that I know, I know that um, these plat- these brands can be run in conjunction with normal service and that kind of stuff as well. Um, 
but it must be a hard thing to get over the line. Just no, think they're going to do more work. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, it's, it, it certainly is. Uh, I think there are definitely lots of type of types of businesses and hospitality venues where this works far better in than others. Now, of course, if you're if you're working with our fried chicken brands and your operating hours are you know, between twelve p.m. to nine p.m., fantastic, you've already got the right trading hours. Yep. But if you're a cafe like myself, where it's open from seven a.m. to two p.m., well, there are some operational changes that you would need to make to ensure that the virtual brand that you have, in particular fried chicken, is as successful as possible. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Andrew, my my final question to you, man, is like, what are you looking forward to for the future? I know we're obviously recording this at the start of October and still in a lockdown in Melbourne and, and stuff like that. So I can imagine what you might say about yourself. Um, but what, <laughs> what, do you, what do you think about for the brand as well? Like I'm sure you guys are excited about a really busy 2022. Yeah, I know. It certainly is. You know, for myself, it's driving the growth and adoption of virtual brands, the host kitchen concept and KBox itself to equip business owners with the new environment that we find ourselves in. I mean, if you think back 10 years ago, the only people doing delivery was Domino's and Pizza Hut. They were the only players in the delivery space. Five years ago, all types of hospitality were now able to offer on-demand delivery through the delivery partners. Two years ago, we saw the emergence of on-demand delivery with groceries. One year ago, we started seeing liquor being delivered. And as recently as three months ago, Chemist Warehouse teamed up with DoorDash to offer off-the-shelf medicine on-demand. COVID has permanently shifted the consumer behavior with on-demand deliveries no longer being a luxury but a necessity for a lot of consumers and businesses. So moving forward, uh, I think the growth potential with KBOX is enormous. Uh, In terms of what I'm looking forward to is realistically the motivation, the testimonials that I'm hearing from partners is, is my motivation. What we're hearing from our partners is we're helping keeping their business alive and more importantly, keeping their staff employed. Now, on average, the revenue earned through KBOX subsidized the wages for three casual staff per week. Now, this is a powerful story in just in itself. Awesome, man. Um, thanks so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, I know a lot of people who listen to the podcast are going to want to know how they can find out more about KBOX. So what's the best way that people can get in contact with you? Yeah, jump on our website, www.kboxanz.com. Net. Uh, put in a, a submission in our forms and uh, one of our staff will be in contact with you if you'd like more information. Fantastic. So that's always linked up in the show notes of this podcast. We'll also have a question um, that we're going to put in the episode notes of this podcast if you're listening on Spotify. So make sure you give an answer to that. Andrew Kang, thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Sean. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Principle of Hospitality. I hope you really enjoyed that one. I know I learned a lot myself. So please comment, like, and share this podcast with your friends in the industry. You know we're making this content with the industry in mind, so we'd really appreciate you sharing it along. Thanks as well to our biggest supporter, the largest family-owned and operated hospitality supplier in Australia, Chef's Hat, where the industry shops. And if you don't know us at Poe, well, you should by now, but Sash, my co-founder for Principal Design, as one of the best design agencies in Australia, multi-award winning. So if you need anything to do with strategy, branding, digital design, wayfinding, and graphic design, then you can find them at principledesign.com.au. And myself at Open Pantry Consulting for anything to do with systems and processes and strategy to make your food business run even more smoothly. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks to Chef's Hat for supporting us as always. And until next time, stay safe, everyone. Thank you.